Welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast detailing the Malifa meta in Los Angeles. With me here is a SoCal player, Colgan, and an East Coast player, Jim. Hey, everyone. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, and my name's Jeff. Um, no one cares, Jeff. <laughs> no one fucking cares. Do you see how I get cheated? You want to go back to the other episode where you're trash-talking me when I'm not even there? Huh? 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 <laughs> yeah, That's- I listened to it. I had the decency to do it when you when you weren't there. So, you know, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. Isn't that's like how small town gossip works, right? As long as you're hey, I'm I'm Chinese, as long as you're nice to someone to their face, you can be as shitty as you want behind the But their that back. sounds like the ultimate bitch move because you know I'm gonna edit the episode. <laughs> It's just like, you know, when you say it just loud enough that they can overhear, but you can pretend like you aren't saying it to their face. It's like high school drama shit. I guess I just assumed that you were so dedicated to your craft that while you're editing, you know, you don't really absorb the content. You're just uh... listening for your ums. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Got to make those Patreon rewards, right? (laughs) Uh, So uh, let's dive into our first of two topics. We are recording this on a Wednesday on the 27th of July. And I'm being specific because the first thing we're going to talk about is the witness keyword, which was just revealed today. And we should say that the reveal does have the little asterisk asterisk where it says it's subject to change. So it's possible that the final version won't resemble in any way what we're going to talk about. But I think the expectation and pretty much the outcome is that whatever ends up getting released is pretty close, if not identical to what's come out. So Jim, can you kind of set the stage a bit? I know, for instance, that you even participate in the playtest. So these probably are not the big revelation to you that they are to us, but just to help update our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what got revealed today? Sure. So uh, just, and just to start, not going into any particular details, if you have been following the lore of Malifaux, there's an early story in first edition about a, a mage who is captured by Sonya Crid, converted to a witchling, and it's used to tell the story of how witchlings are made. And it's almost like, um, is the movie called Memento, where the guy is ha- has like short-term memory loss and is like leaving notes for himself? Yes, written all over his body, yeah, yeah. So it's like that in Malifaux, and the guy, it turns out, is the new master, Damien Ravencroft. So spoilers for a story that's 10 years old. He, he is an arcanist master. The witness keyword is arcanist. This, you know, everything that's come out is pure arcanist. And he was turned into a witchling. Hit, he like downloaded his memories into this ancient device from old Malifaux that was a box. And then when he found it as the witchling, he re-uploaded his memories essentially stole the knowledge of how to make witchlings from Sonya Crid. And because of that, a lot of the models in this keyword, a lot of the mechanics of this keyword are thematically tied to that concept of storing power. And a lot of abilities are shared with the witch hunter keyword. So it's kind of like an interesting reflection of the witch hunters with a lot of card manipulation and hand manipulation. And if you consider the hand to be like your mind and mental faculties in Malifaux, which if you look at Forgotten, they have a lot of discard cards because they're all about going mad. It's a neat twist on that idea. Yeah, I'm not super familiar 
uh, with the lore, but actually that was one story that I think I did read back in the day. And, you know, this tie-in with Sonia, I think it's it's really strong with the name of his henchman, uh, Bella Ventine. Yeah, Bella Ventine Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks like, you know, she's got, I mean, one of her abilities is called Guild Deserter. But the the crew as a whole, it's kind of, um, I don't know, like a little disjointed or a little lumpy because it's got these, the Soulstone Gammon and um, it's not a Soulstone Golem, but it's essentially like a Soulstone Golem, right? How how right. did those creatures fit into the new master's lore? Like, why why is that associated with him? So there was a story not too long ago that came out where this individual by the name of Lohith Bot, I'm mispronouncing it, journeying with Sandeep and Rasputina and found this massive soulstone geode, which may or may not be the prison for the tyrant witness, which, as you notice is the keyword of the is the keyword of the keyword the name of the keyword that's what i'm looking for and uh bad things happened and now bot is infused with soulstone in the soulstone as the soulstone golem so to speak so we don't know for sure the story just yet but it seems to me that ba- just based on these damien who's super curious and literally had himself mentally reconstituted after being torn apart may have found a way to reach or contact witness a tyrant. And it's not the first time we've had tyrants be involved directly in a master. Like we have December who's pretty on the nose. We have plague nightmare Shenlong with the dragon Shazul with Vix. This is just another tyrant coming out of the weeds and possibly working with this group. And I think this group is interesting because they all seem to have had some kind of magical mishap. You have Bat, you have Damien. Uh, Bella Ventine was Damien's witchling handler, or at least that's my presumption based on her abilities and the actions she has. Mm-hmm. And they, we have two more enforcers that we've seen. We have a Ledger Domain, which is a, a what just a wonderful character name, very evocative art. And we have Marco Bonatti, who is, you know, the ink Krauss looking guy from Hell Hellboy. Yeah, he was like a an ectoplasm that wore like a spacesuit. He was like in the second or third movie. But like it's pretty much this. It's this it's a what looks like a living ink cloud wearing a suit. So like thematically, you've got a bunch of people who have been magically altered in some way. So I'm guessing there's like that whole ragtag sufferers of magical accident going on and witness is somehow involved in bringing them together or somehow finding a, maybe a cure for their condition. I don't know. We will have to see what the book has in store. Right. Uh, so, you know, mechanically again, uh, our listeners, you know, can just go read the cards for themselves. So we're not going to sit there and read the cards for them. Uh, but they do got this configuration mechanic, which is kind of core. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So we don't know exactly how the configuration works yet. The book that this and theoretically any other keywords are going to be in will not be at Gen Con. Weird has said so on Facebook. They said it's coming capital S soon. <laughs> the configuration is essentially it's like Lucid Dream, where it's this area outside the game outside the discard pile in the deck in the fate hand and the conflict, all the areas cards normally sit. 
that is restricted to being six cards. And most of your models that are named have this ability called repository. And a lot of your constructs, like the Soul Stone, Gammon, Lohith, and the Totem, the Puzzle Box, have a House the Soul effect. All this is to say, you can pull cards into your configuration, and you automa- it automatically happens over the turn. You don't have to spend bonus actions or regular actions to do it. And when they're there, you have card effects that care about the number of suits, the value of cards, whether they're nine nine plus or odd or even. And once you reach a threshold of, I think it's three card, three of a kind, like three of the same suit, you gain that suit on all of your witness models actions. That's where the hand manipulation comes in. You're, you're filtering your hand because of uh, repository is you minimal reading of the cards because our listeners can read the cards themselves. You put a card into the configuration, you draw a card with, with a repository model. And then at the end of the turn, your repository, your, your configuration empties. It goes into your discard pile. Your house, the soul models let you keep one of those cards. The gist of the crew is you're going to try and build kind of like with Mayfang, where you have models that create scrap and models that use scrap. You're going to want models that hold cards in your repository or in your configuration. And you want models that put cards in your configuration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I first read configuration, although I should say also, it's actually not six cards. It's configuration size is limited by your hand size. So if you have magical training, it's seven. If you're playing against, say, you know, someone like Yoko who reduces your hand size, that impacts the the configuration as well. Uh, I, I don't really have a great sense of how powerful these guys are. You know, nothing I read made me go like, oh, my God, you know, this is going to shatter the game. But I think that they look like a certainly a viable and an interesting crew. What struck me, though, when I was reading him is I actually felt that their mechanics, like it feels like, you know, you can see the development of Malvo third edition over time. And I think that if like Sandeep or Jacob Lynch had been made today, they would have a mechanic like configuration instead of what they currently have, you know, for for Sandeep being based around focus, you know, that never really, you know, I, I don't really see the connection to, to academia or, or whatever. Whereas with configuration, when I was reading that, I was kind of like, geez, you know, I, I almost feel like I could see Sandeep or, or like with Lynch, if he had something like this, but he got bonuses based on the poker hand that your configuration is making or something like that. Like that could have been really cool. And I, you know, that guy Ledger to main we made this comment earlier in our in our private channel on the other coast, but I just felt like <laughs> Legitimane's showmanship ability is just so much better than than you know what Lynch's keyword is doing, but it also feels like it would have been really thematic. You know, Colgan as a as like a Lynch player, how did you feel reading uh reading this stuff? Yeah, I can I, I can kind of see that, though I, I still just like the idea of the honeypot crew just getting everyone drugged up on brilliance i definitely agree with you jeff i think that the idea that you can offload a crew mechanic like imagine dreamer if you put lucid dream and all of the ways lucid dream waking dream whatever his abilities are that involve cards being removed from the game Mm -hmm. pull them off pull that text off the models and put it onto this card it's very similar to 
does it remind you of allegiance cards in the other other side uh, to an extent yeah i suppose it, it's a little difficult to make the corollary because for for allegiance cards it tells you how you can get to glory which is a central mechanic in in the other side but has has no real corollary for for malifaux but yeah i mean i think the existence of this which is a new a new concept in malifaux right this crew like this upgrade that it's not attached to any individual it's just something that the crew gets that in that regard it would i think be closer to an allegiance card one thing that yeah oh, and, and- I was just going to say, one thing that kind of struck me about this is this almost kind of paves the road for what Jeff was like fighting for a long time ago that it got land blasted on for like uh, keyword upgrades. It's like if you run an entire <laughs> keyword, it like gives them a buff. Because like right now, as the rules is written, like there isn't any way to actually attach this upgrade to your crew, right? Like that needs to be added in. Right. So we don't have the way that this comes into effect and i know there's been people asking about how it works like one of the models the dabblers are dual faction whizbang and the question's like do they get it if wong hires them and ndas are ndas so i will only say that given that we have in the bottom right in the limitation section it says crew witness i don't know of any other upgrade in the game that has the crew keyword limitation so I would expect that whatever book comes out that has this and any other keywords might have a rules blurb about what crew keyword means. Right, because currently that's not even a concept, right? I mean, you're declaring a, a leader. Exactly. And the leader's keywords has some have implications, but there is no, like the crew itself does not have a keyword as far as I understand. Right, that certainly seems to be the case as of yet. And it is important to note that these cards were revealed by Weird, and this is explicitly a pre-release that they're doing at Gen Con. I really think that they left out the explanation for how the configuration comes into play to spur people like us to talk about (laughs) it and make content. (laughs) You know the old, uh, I don't care what you say about me, just spell my name right. But... I think if you take a moment and consider how would this work for everything to function in a way that's not stupid, it seems to me that if if you have access to the to an ability that mentions the configuration, you probably have the configuration access to the configuration. How that ends up panning out, we'll see. You're reading there's a couple of once per turn or once per activation abilities. And so I, I feel like Cassandra out of keyword could be pretty useful in this crew. Uh, I don't know if the, <laughs> I, I don't know if ultimately you could fit her in with everything else that you have to buy because, you know, how many models do you really need to feel your configuration or whatever? Um, but anytime I see like once per turn or once per activation, being able to do those more often is is potentially useful. But also, uh, there are times when you don't have enough actions to do everything that you want, right? So sometimes it's nice to be able to like subcontract that workout to another model. I expect to pick them up. Uh, I I think they're interesting. I uh, one thing I do like is their mechanic is is something new. They read like they're viable, but I wasn't you know just like knocked on my ass by by how how strong I thought they were. Which maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe they are broken. 
I've been concerned about power creep in Malifaux for a while. Just through osmosis, like I knew other other models were in the works, right? I mean, we're to be doing reveals, so it's not a huge surprise. But when I saw Hexpo, basically I was really worried for every master that was gonna come. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like this development is something I'm much more comfortable with. And then I guess the last thing I want to say about these is uh oh sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's always a a worry when you have new material joining a game. I know there's been some folks upset about some of the keywords and some of the models that came out in Malifaux Burns in tandem with the errata that we got this year. On the whole, I would agree. Upon looking at what we have in Witness, I'm not seeing it superseding all of the other Arcanists, the way Sandeep did in second edition when he came out. <laughs> I'm seeing a generalist keyword that kind of leans schemey, if anything. Like they can hit, but their their damage potential to me is seeming to come from attacking the opponent's hand and then being able to hit with a bunch of attacks and shockwaves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole lot of min two. There's only one min three attack in the keyword, and that's Loeth. Damien himself can get to min three with a suit, which configuration can build in still situational, but the hand attack pressure that the crew has is bananas. Look, I mean, it looks, it looks interesting. I, I, I will want to try them. Uh, I also, you know, Damien's got this trigger in night to E5. It, it reminds me, uh, there's breaking news in the chess world this last week. Um, Magnus Carlsen, the world champion is not going to defend his title. Which is a oh, really wow. big deal because he's he's the most dominant player of of his generation, uh, and so it's 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 I wouldn't say it's necessarily a surprise because he's been talking about how he's just kind of you know he's not as motivated uh, or or you know he's not finding it as much fun as he used to in in the past. So uh, and and he even said outright you know that he might not defend his title a while ago. So it's not like we couldn't have seen this coming, but he's still the most dominant player and just watching him play games is, is an amazing experience. So I'm a little disappointed that he won't be defending his title, but I guess that doesn't really have a ton to do with Malifaux. So we can move on then to uh, uh, our, our second and main topic, <laughs> the gaining, gaining ground season three pack. It's, it's still relatively new and it's, it's pretty interesting. We've got four brand new strategies um, and then we've got a couple new schemes, but a lot of returning ones. So, Clogan, uh, why don't you just kind of start us off and we'll just go through the strategies one by one and, and we'll just talk about them because even though we don't want to read stuff to people, well, you know, it's not a lot of other ways to talk about a strategy. Right. So, Clogan, why don't you tell us about Cursed Objects? All right. Um, so, Cursed Objects seems to be kind of one of the killer strategies in this new gaming grounds. So though, overall, I feel like it's pretty like scheme heavy. Mm hmm. But basically, you at the beginning of the game, you curse a bunch of opponent's stuff. You can take interact actions to pass around curse tokens off of a model that has it onto an enemy model if they're within one inch. And then if you kill any enemy models with a curse token, you can discard it. And as long as you've discarded a curse token, um, you score a point. Or if you've completely killed the entire enemy crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, it's. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Like you said, it's. I, I mean, I, it's the Killy strat. Although, as as we'll talk about some of the other ones, I think because people might be, I don't want to say boxed in, but 
some of these some of these other strategies we're going to talk about have kind of like territory holding concepts. So mm-hmm. I think uh, the strategies, some of them, you know, might end up being quite killy anyways. But yeah, I mean, I think cursed objects is kind of the nod to killing strategy, which makes sense because it's the crow, and traditionally the crow strategy has been the killy one. Uh, Jim, what do you think mm-hmm. about you know cursed objects compared to the previous killy ones like reckoning or you know public enemies? What do you think that this one is is doing? You know that the others really didn't, or you know what's yeah what's new about this one? So to me, it does two things. It cleans up previous kill-based strategies as far as helping you meter and pace yourself with killing, it still rewards, like Colgan pointed out, the interact action. If you look at all the other killy strategies, Reckoning, what is it? I want to call it Headhunter, but it's not called Headhunter. Recover Evidence and um, Bounty, with the one with the bounty points. The bounty point one, if you had a, a, a god hand and you went in and you went ham and killed three enemy models, you might lose stuff because someone kills your model with the bounty points or you might overkill and burn points and you could game the system by playing an elite crew or an all insignificant crew and deny your opponent points by based on gaming the system. That feels bad. And from a game design standpoint, it feels bad not like denial is a valid way to play the game, but going into a game saying there is no way you mechanically can score more than two points on the strategy just because I happen to have access to Bayou Gremlins, you know, that's not great. This solves that by a you, so you give out five hot potato. I call them hot potatoes because to me it's evocative of a hot potato, like, ooh, I don't want to hold this here, you take it. And there was some confusion when this came out about if you give multiple tokens to an enemy model and you kill it, what happens to the other tokens, right? I kill someone who has two tokens on it. I remove one to score a strategy point. That other one goes to a nearby model, just like a lodestone would. But now if I kill another model of the enemies, those cursed tokens go to other enemy models. So I'm not punished as the person who has the ability to take the lead for killing more on a turn. Whereas in the past I could be punished by, Oh, I overkill here. And now my opponent sends their one Cillerid to hide and I'm locked out of the rest of the strategy points. Theoretically, they can do a similar thing here, but it's a little lessened. I think the other point I wanted to make is crews like Nelly, specifically Nelly that you don't think about playing into a killy pool are really good here. Nelly is, is a unique case, I will admit, but exclusive interview or controlling interact actions allows you to give your opponents curses and then you can't get them back. I don't know. Are there ways to disrupt interact actions outside of exclusive interview? I'm not aware of any off the top of my head. Uh, I think there are ways to turn off interact actions, aren't there? Isn't there... I oh, feel yeah. like there is a model or model... In like the savage keyword, if you're like... Yeah, yeah, savage. That's a great point. The Cyclops, right? Or no, it's the the Gigans. The Gigans have a bonus that if they don't teleport to something, they can make it. You can't interact, I think. But so those are tools that now you have a way to play the denial game with a crew that you wouldn't normally associate with Killy. So now you're not you know punished because, oh, I like playing journalists. Ah, it's a Killy pool. I guess I lose. 
I don't know. I, I think it opens up the Killy quote unquote strategy to more crews while balancing interacts with killing, which makes it more Malifaux than just raw kill. Yeah. And I was just going to say that I, I really like how, um, with how the interact works, you can play a really strong denial game if you're able to, if you have a really high interact economy. Because even if they have like really <laughs> strong guys, if they're not able to get a curse token on you or if they're playing a really elite crew, then they're really stunting themselves because they might not have the action economy to actually set up for scoring strategy if you're just dumping all your curse tokens onto their guys. Absolutely. And killing an enemy that doesn't have a curse token does nothing for the strategy. So if you're playing like Lucius and you send a changeling jumping in, giving a curse to somebody else and then running away, do you spend the AP, spend the actions to chase that changeling and then hand a token? And then like, oh, that was my move and my interact. I guess I don't have AP to punch you. And then the <laughs> changeling goes, tag, you're it, next turn, and then runs away again. Yeah, it, it also, you know, it's a killing strategy that doesn't punish summoners, right? Because, well, it, as you mentioned, if, if something dies, but doesn't have an interact token on it, then it doesn't, you know, having killed that model doesn't matter. When, when a model is summoned, your opponent can choose to give it a curse token. So... Oh, is that? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's right there. Oh, so never mind. So it discourages playing summoners in the uninteractive, I summon an obsidian oni and have it explode on you way. But <laughs> what if you were to say, I don't know, summon a Katashiro? Oh, you want to give it a, pat, a, a token? Sure, sure. So my Katashiro is going to hide. And then at the end of next turn, it's going to walk be blown by the wind, and then give its curse token to your beater model, and now you can kill it. I don't care, because I've just given... I've gotten another curse on your crew. It encourages playing with schemier, stealthier, cagier summons. I think Dreamer especially is going to be really great at this, because he summons an Alp. Oh, do you give the Alp a curse token? Great. It stays buried until it can interact and give it to you. That's good. Dreamer definitely needs help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jim, you want to tell us about Guard the Stash? Oh, absolutely. Guard the Stash is a it is similar to Turf War in that you are dropping strategy markers in the center of each table quarter. And just to be real clear, the core rulebook does define table quarters as the 18 inch by 18 inch square that um, makes up the four of them makes up the board. There were questions about this specifically on diagonal deployments, how that worked. Mm. It's still the, the 18 by 18 square. And this is relevant because you drop a total of six strategy markers, four in the corner, in the, in the center of each table quarter, two are on the center line and they're four inches to the right and left of the center line. And what this means is that the layout of strategy markers completely changes based on your deployment. And we haven't had a strategy that really changes like that when it's preset marker placement. So if you're in standard or mm. wedge, you have like a, a, a six-sided die, like the six side with the pips, almost like in an hourglass shape. Because the two in the center are eight inches apart and the two in your deployment zone are going to be 18 inches apart. 
and the ones in the opponent's deployments are 18 inches apart. If you are flank or corner, then you have one marker in your deployment zone or board half and four on the center line. And to score, you have to have more models within two inches in line of sight of a marker on the enemy side of the board, not wholly within, but on, and have more mark more markers than you scored VP to score a point. Mm-hmm. Unengaged. So all that to say, you are going to see this be a very scrummy game in diagonal deployments and a spread out game in straight on deployments. And I just think that's wild from a, it, it, the, how the deployment matters more in this strategy than it has in any other strategy so far, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I mean, for, for myself, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no deep strategist. Oftentimes when I deploy, I just kind of line my models up as far forward as they can go. So, you know, having, having to factor something else in is, is pretty nice. I mean, I, I've been seeing these games on, on Vassal where, where the attacker says something like, oh, okay, well, I put all my models in one pool because I don't care either way, right? And so, you know, I, I do think mm-hmm. kind of, you know, improving the dynamic around some of these deployment choices is a good thing. I also, I like the fact that they are trying to add holding territory to the game as as an objective because as i've been you know and and not just me it's not like i'm the only person who who thinks this or i discovered it or whatever but movement tricks i I think since the start of third have just always been kind of too powerful and it's sort of what's defined the the better crews from the worst crews to a certain extent but once you add in the need to hold territory I, i think that that starts to value models that can that can stick around as opposed to necessarily ones that have have a ton of mobility. Although, you know, guard the stash, especially on on sort of standard or wedge deployment, the ability to to move down the table is is still very important. So it's not like movement no longer matters. But I I do think that area control mm-hmm. is a good addition to the other things that uh, Malvo was already trying to have you do. What do you think of guard to stash, Colgan? Yeah, I like how they kind of push it a little more to favor MSU crews since there's actually the idea of controlling the strategy marker. So as long as you have more models within two inches, you can, I guess, disrupt it or you can secure it and prevent your opponent from actually denying you the point, which I think is really cool. You know, when it comes to MSU and, and you're like, yeah, you can just kill them off. The, the thing is, MSU might not be like the best way to claim markers. I expect the best way to claim markers is still to be able to sort of like outmaneuver your opponent and get to the ones like get to the distant ones faster or, you know, find the neglected ones or or whatever. But I think MSU becomes like really effective at denial because let's say you throw two cursed hounds or something uh, at at to to a marker if one of those curse hounds dies, you know, the other can still contest against an emissary or, you know, a master or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think MSU, you, you know, we've talked about MSU a couple times on this show, and I think MSU, just currently in the way Malifaux works, it it's, uh, has an uphill struggle, but I can see it uh, as an interesting choice for Guard the Stash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, we've talked about the Killy strat, we've talked about the Hold Space strat, what uh? What's kind of strat is a carva path? Sounds like a lineup to a joke. 
I really don't. I don't know really like if there's a specific reference or something. I was I was supposed to hit there. There, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't. No, I'm, I'm asking. But how do you classify carve a path? I, uh, you know, you're just uh, I pushing, uh, pushing rocks. Um, maybe it's kind of like curling or something. Uh, I, I. I can't really think of a, a real world analogy to carve path. Again, the way you say it, I just feel like the weight of expectation on me. And I have like, I have no frame of reference to meet you with. So I just, I feel like I'm failing here. But I would say that uh, carve the path is, is the strategy that we've seen the most of at the store. You know, gaming, gaming grounds three is not that old. Um, and yet the vast majority of our games have been carve a path. So I don't know if something's going on with the app or if it's just, you know, a minor random quirk or, or whatever, but I've I've seen um, the most Carver Path games live at the store of, of any other strategy, and I would say that for me, you know, the fact that you can still interact while engaged is an interesting decision, and the ability to clear markers with the you know with the strategy marker from Carver Path matchups are always supposed to matter in Malifaux. But I think oftentimes, if if you're really strong with a crew, you're able to just kind of play it, even if it's suboptimal, because you can hedge sort of the advantage that you have, the familiarity from your crew or, you know, your opponent not knowing the matchup as well or, or whatever. Carpet Path is giving an option to a lot of crews to, to manipulate markers or to deal with markers that they wouldn't have otherwise. And so I, I, I think it adds to like the crew selection dynamic in a way that other strategies maybe haven't done as well in in the past. So I I really like it quite a bit. That's a really good point. I think this is the closest we've gotten in third edition to a strategy that gives you a unique action. You know, there were strategies in second edition and some of the holiday strategies that said like, every model in the game can take this special action this game. The interacting while engaged and removing markers just as a blanket to anyone, it solves some of the problems folks have had with certain marker types like pylons, specifically pylons, but it also means that people who generate resources off of markers and maybe off marker removal now have another way to get that. But on the flip side, to score this strategy, you need to get these markers on the opposing side of the board, and you need to get them fully into the deployment zone to score max points, which is similar to uh, Break the Line. And let me tell you, I've played this in Corner. <laughs> that is super diff. This is another strategy where deployment matters because Corner is so difficult for Carver Path because mm. you have so much real estate to travel over. And, you know, the markers, if it comes into base contact with non-marker impassable train, it stops. So, like, if you have fences in your boards, you have to go around the fences. So you can quickly add up to be very action intensive just to kick this, you know, soccer ball Roomba curling. What is it a puck in curling? I mean, I know Um. nothing about curling. Let's ask Senior Google. <laughs> I wonder why they have the the one inch, you know, like you can interact with it within an inch rather than base contact. 
So you can't have a 50 mil model sit on top of an enemy marker because they're not impassable and say, you can't move this neener, neener, neener. Oh, that makes sense. Because uh, it also says within one inch, not within one inch in line of sight. Also, for those who care, it is a curling stone. A stone. stone. With little brooms called. So, Just brooms? Curling brooms. <laughs> So naturally, Shen Long is the best at this because he has two already equipped with broom models. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I think that there's been a lot of outcry about this is terrible for marker masters. Rasputina hates this. And I'm not convinced that it's that bad, because if you're kicking a marker to destroy like ice pillars and stuff, you might not be pushing it towards the scoring position. And if me spending a master action to deny you a score is what happens, hey, that's not so bad. The game that I played this in corner, I was up against a Feng player. Scrap markers everywhere. And I was never in a position where I could push the marker in a way that would help me score points and remove the scrap because they put the scrap in a smart position. Mm. So I'm not convinced it's the death of marker masters as some people seem to be, but I don't have a crystal ball. So we'll find out, I guess. Well, And I'm of the position, in fact, that strategies should be more warping or, you know, should, should be mm. impactful in terms of crew selection. Uh, I, I don't think that they should be determinative that, oh, I, I cannot play Titania into Carve a Path because it's just, you, you know, it, it's just not workable. Um, but I do think the strategy should be like, oh, okay, it Malvo is explicitly not a game where you are supposed to be able to expect to just play, you know, the same eight models from game to game, right? And I, I've said in the past that I would have liked to have seen something where, you know, you score maybe based on um, like keyword enforcers or keyword mini, you know, something to where it's really going to have a substantial impact on the models that you bring uh, in order to meet the objectives. So if, you know, clearly this does affect marker masters uh, more than other strategies that don't have this removal aspect. But my contention is not only is that a good thing, I want to see more of that in the strategies going forward. Uh, what do you think, Colgan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this kind of unique take i don't think we've really seen a strategy like that in m3e i think it removing non-strategy markers is just it has to be in there or else i feel like this strategy is way too abusable for people that can create impassable markers because now all of a sudden you have an extra interact action you need to clear before you can actually kick it in any direction that will actually move you forward i mean like overall i really like the strategies in this new gaining grounds i just feel like they add a nice twist and they make it so that you have to play a little bit more to the strategy and the games feel even more different than they used to. So for Carpet Path, mm -hmm. I wonder how frequently it's going to be the case where you, you're basically just, uh, you know, you've got fighting or whatever, but you've also, you've got your, your marker pushers, right? What are the pushers in curling called, Colgan? Uh, <laughs> let's see. What, what does Wikipedia say? I think they're just like, do they even name them? Well, I, the positions have to have names. I mean, every sport, like the positions have names. Um, let God, this, this is actually a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But anyways, I, yeah, I wonder how 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 frequently it's gonna be like. Okay, I'm pushing my markers, and like we push our markers like past each other, and our guys are just like walking past each other, pushing markers, and yeah, maybe there's like fighting, and there's other like there's schemes and stuff, right? So there's other things going on. But as far as the strategy goes, we're just like you know crossing you know crossing by and waving at each other. I I wonder uh, how frequently that's gonna be the dynamic. I imagine that's going to be the dynamic a good amount of the time. There's no, without schemes dictating board position, and we'll talk about schemes in a minute here, there's no place that you have to go with your markers. Like, you can absolutely go hard on the flanks and just split your crew in Mm -hmm. two and say, you're welcome to try and get through the terrain to get to my stuff, and I will be focusing on getting my markers into strategy position and at the same time try and just like kick your markers close together turn one and then turn two just kind of push them both into the same general area and say i am bubbling up on this side you have to come to try and come here to try and stop me and i think there are crews that can do either of those options mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah all right well uh jim you want to finish up the strategies with uh, covert operation Absolutely. We have, so covert operation is a, yet another new mechanic that we haven't seen in the strategy. My shorthand for this one is spray paint or um, graffiti. Tag. Tag. There you go. That's a, that's a better way to put it. So here we're putting strategy markers on the center line. There's going to be four of them. So preset strategy line, or preset strategy locations. It is going to differ based on deployment. Again, sort of like we had earlier, the strategies are located four inches to the left and right of the center point and six inches from on the left and right from where the board edge is all on the center line. So if it's diagonal, they're fairly well spread out. But if it's straight, you know, square deployment zones, they're going to be much closer together. And that matters because for covert, you need to be not engaged and within two inches of a strategy marker. And every so actually, I missed a point at the start of the game. You give everyone a can of spray paint. This is magic spray paint, and it's called a claim token at the end of every turn after the first. Gosh, I keep uh, I'm going to rewind, keep this in to show my (laughs) inequities. But so at the start of the game, everyone on your crew And both crews gets a claim token. Starting on turn two, you pick three of your models and write them down secretly or note them secretly. Theoretically, there's going to be an update to the app that will allow you to pick three models at the start of the turn when you flip turns over. There's also good old fashioned pen and paper. So make sure you have a way to mark it, though, just because... I have had trouble remembering what I pick sometimes. And if I hadn't written it down, I totally would have just been like, oops, I don't remember who it was. So I guess I don't score it. At the end of the turn, you reveal those three people you picked. And one of them gets to tag one of the markers by discarding their claim token to put a claim token on that strategy marker. You can't do that while engaged. Once you've used it, you can't get another claim token. And once you've claimed a strategy marker, you can't claim it again. You can't be unclaimed. So it's kind of like corrupted ley lines here, but you can't score at turn one. You just there you don't pick mark models turn one, so you can't score at turn one. And it's all on the center line. 
So the fight's going to be on the center line. So you have to exercise a bit of prediction and say, all right, I need to have three models that are going to A, live, B, have a way to be unengaged at the end of the turn, and C, be in a part of the board that I haven't been before. So early points on this are going to be pretty easy to get because you can spread out and pick it. But like after your second strategy point, your opponent's going to know, okay, there's only two markers that they can get points off of. And they've got one dude over there and three on this one. I'll just tie up, you know, send something to these two pieces and I can probably deny more points. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, probably going to be the killiest of the strategies because it's forcing all the interaction in the game for the strategy in that cylinder of the board that's on the center line. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, especially if the scheme pool cooperates, right? Like leave your mark or, or something where it'll just be extra efficient to control the center. You could definitely see some bubble crews just get to the middle and fight it out and whoever's left standing ends up uh, getting to claim the markers. Kogan, what do you think of uh, covert operation? Um, yeah, I like how that the model loses the claim marker. So that also kind of helps with defense in later turns because, you know, all right, these models can't even do the strategy anymore. And I think it also kind of influences your crew hiring a lot more because you need to make sure that, you know, you have the right models that you're hiring in, especially if you're like a summoner crew, to be able to kind of secure those later points. I think Early on, like uh, Jim was saying, it'll be easier to get those first few points. But then I think there's also the caveat that usually the one that's going to score you those easy points might be like one of your more mobile models. And then as you get later into the game, it's yeah, it just become, becomes kind of a scrum because you're fighting over one or two points. And maybe your less mobile models are the only ones that actually have the claim tokens still. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I really like the the claim token mechanic, uh, you know, how it's disposable in that way, because it, it still rewards mobility, but you can't rely on, you know, one or two just really fast models to do all of your strat work for you. So I, I think that's well done. I don't know really how, you know, I haven't played covert operation yet. So I, I this is, this is just conjecture, but I don't know how impactful this like secret selection is I'm not sure really what weird is gaining from that over just you know allowing anyone with a claim marker to be able to do it because in practice I feel like three models you know a Malvo standard crew is generally around eight models at the start mm -hmm. of a game right so we're picking a little over half and a lot of totems are insignificant they're not going to be it I mean they get a claim marker I, I assume because the strategy does say every model but I, I I, I don't know whether they well, insignificance are ignored gotcha. for that because they're ignored for right. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. But yeah, so I, I, I guess my opinion is functionally, I expect the secret selection to not really be all that significant. And I feel like if they wanted it to be, you know, if they're trying to emphasize the covert nature of it, I think making it two or, or one or, you, you know, making it um, where you had to covertly choose markers instead of you know the models that do the claiming might have been i guess a little more thematic in that sense uh, perhaps to me the the impact that you're only picking three models is that there's a risk reward to it you know i played a game of this the other day 
and I picked a model that was in danger of dying. So I picked it because I didn't want to lose it before it had a chance to score the mm-hmm. point. And it ended up being tied up in melee, so it couldn't score. And I had to reveal, you, know, you always reveal this hidden information at the end of the turn by doing things like, oh, I can send a, a young Nephilim out to the flank that no one's guarding. And it seems like, oh, that's an obvious pick. Well, I might pick it and then pick two others that are in the fighting and try and get the ones in the fighting and have the other one be my safety pick. Mm-hmm. But I think it's easier that way because if we did the markers, well, then the fourth point, your opponent, there's no point in being secret, right? Because there's only four markers. And once a marker, once a model has spent their claim token, they can no longer contribute to the strategy, which means your other models become priority targets for the enemy. So then you have to balance, when can I afford for this model to become disposable? Do I you know, go with my key pieces for how my crew functions early to try and make sure that the opponent doesn't burst them down while they're doing, you know, they're like, do I go with fingers early and let him be a debuff piece in Brewmaster? Or do I do that fermented river monk who's off by himself? Sure, sure. I mean, to be clear, I, it's not that I think that it's going to be like mechanically inconsequential or that it'll never lead to decisions. I just think that uh, it's it's supposed to, you know, it's called covert operation, right? It's supposed to model the fact that it's a secret or whatever. Uh, and I just feel like it's you know, my expectation. Again, I have not played this game, so this is, you know, just an expectation. Is it frequently going to be pretty pretty obvious at least what some of these models are uh and and so yeah i i just wonder if it if it's working from the point of view of being covert or not but that was just something that struck me when i when i read the the strategy colgan overall what do you think of this strategy pool you know this will be the fourth one right because there were there was like zero you know how, how do you think that this one stacks up compared to the others so yeah i haven't actually gotten in any games with any of these strategies but reading through them i like the direction that they're going i think we might have mentioned before but that kind of killing enemies is its own reward so i like how there isn't like a straight up killing strategy where it's like oh you get to remove their models hurt their action economy and this is what you want to be doing anyways so i think we're going to see a lot more i guess viability of different crews and different strategies I think overall, it seems like your scheming masters and interact um, heavy crews are going to come out a lot stronger in the scanning grounds, just with like how many interacts you need to take, or the ability to just straight up deny points with cursed objects. Carve a path, being able to kick that stone, that curling stone, the all the way down. Stone. <laughs> Did you find like the name of the positions? Like, so it is kind of go? complicated. So. <laughs> They can only like hit a certain number of stones. So there's usually three players and there's the lead, the second and the third. And there's also a skip or a vice. So the skip is the captain and the vice is like the third team member. And then so the person that is hitting the stone, I think, is referred to as the deliverer. And then the other two people are sweepers. But that will change because not the same person can always deliver the stone. And then based on whether you're the lead or the second or third, I think it determines which order you go in. But I don't know that much about curling. <laughs> and I'm just like trying to like read this up from Wikipedia. And I'm just always amazed by the physics of it. Like, you know, I accept that when those dudes are, are well, I should say dudes. Well, I guess dude is 
works for it anyone. could be male or female yes. there's also mixed but sure. in california but yeah i guess what surprises me is doing like doing that sweeping actually matters right obviously it does but mm-hmm. the fact that you could impact the ice within that short of a time frame by just doing that sweeping it really amazes me they're saying the most technical aspect is knowing when to sweep, Jeff. So, <laughs> so Jim, what do you think of uh, the strategies? Uh, you know, I think it's going to come down to whether you know when to sweep. <laughs> you know, uh, kidding aside, I agree with Colgan. There's a lot of emphasis on being able to interact. There's a lot of emphasis, subtle emphasis, on having larger crews, or at least having durable crews and whether or not that turns into you just play lethal crews or you actually bring the very durable minions for cost we'll we'll see that's probably going to be a meta dependent Mm -hmm. thing but like all four of these are adjusted based on are impacted by deployment they're all going to be encouraging movement interact and combat it just feels like it it takes all the elements of malifaux and blends them in a every it's a little bit of everything like we don't have a symbols of authority in this pool that's like so clearly skewing your your crew design there's no there's less emphasis on an all-star strategy runner and so you can build crews that are more to the scheme pool than to the strategy if that makes sense no it does i mean i I agree with you guys. I think that this is an interesting uh, strap pool. I, I, I like that the things that they're trying with this pool. I also like it's a legitimate tactic, right? I'm I'm not I'm not saying it isn't, but I personally find it kind of distasteful, even though I also do it. That you know those strategies where you place markers and it becomes kind of all about oh, okay, if I put it here, then you know there's only one approach and I can just block it out by sitting a guy or a pylon marker or something. And and so, you know, I like that that little element of gamesmanship is not an aspect for these strategies. And as as I mentioned, I would like to see them. I I really would like to see the strategies be game warping, be you know, sort of determinative, be major elements in how this game is going to unfold. And I don't I I don't think Weird actually wants that. You know, I I don't think Weird wants the experience of each strategy to be that extreme even though personally that that is what I would want. But I do feel that these strategies are like a bit more impactful in terms of some of the like the crew selections than maybe some of the previous pools we've seen. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited by this pool. I think this is a good pool. And also I think that, you know, when we hit Gaming Grounds 4, you know, probably we'll have some new and, and some returning. Seeing some of these elements as an option within, uh, you know, like multi, multi-round events along with some of the, you know, previous schemes that were maybe, or previous strategies that maybe were like more interact based or, or like more move down the board and grab the marker sort of thing. I think that is also going to mm-hmm. be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I dig it. All right. So uh, why don't we uh, push the stone right onto the schemes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim, you want to um, basically deliver how we broke these down? Sure. So uh, we can... We have a group of these schemes that are new, but a lot of returning ones. So we kind of swept them into three buckets. We have what we call our Killy schemes. We have our Schemey schemes, and we have our WTF schemes. So in our Killy schemes, we've got good old fashioned Vendetta. 
assassin and I say good old fashioned, it actually has been updated. Assassinate, Hidden Martyrs, and then two new ones in Set the Trap and In Your Face. I'll just list everything that we've got here and then I'll go into those uh, changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our schemey pool, you've got Breakthrough, you've got Leave Your Mark, you got Sabotage, Catch and Release, Spread Them Out, and again, Set the Trap, and then a new one, Secret Meetup. And then WTF is Load Them Up and Public Demonstration. So first thing is a lot of the returning schemes that mention models that have cost that is that are selected during the start of the game. That's like Vendetta, that's Hidden Martyrs, that's going to be In Your Face. Actually, not, not In Your Face. It's going to be um, Public Demonstration as well. These schemes now have the language specifying that the model cannot have been replaced into a more expensive model added into them universally and what this is doing is it's sort of like the change that happened to vendetta last gaining grounds where they just said uh, it couldn't have been replaced mm-hmm. it's now adding the specific uh replaced with a more expensive model so obviously you have things like you can't do the piglet grows into a war pig to score vendetta on a five stone support piece because ulix is just so overpowered i mean he's just sweeping all these events <sighs> I am not going there right now. <laughs> um, I actually think Ulix has more play in this gaining grounds, including Ulix one by virtue of how much action economy he can have, but I have not devoted the time to it. And right now I am on a outcast kick, so I haven't been putting time in, but like hidden martyrs, uh, you can no longer take a super cheap hidden martyr. Like, I don't know an effigy of fate. <laughs> And a beater, and then have the effigy grow into an emissary that's almost always hard to kill and really beefy to help deny that point. You can't do the Corfi duet. Um, although the Corfi duet is still going to uh, ruin everyone's day. <laughs> so that's, a, that's the thing. And going through, there are more schemes that we qualified as schemey. And I think that's telling that this is a gaining grounds that has. A lot of emphasis on action economy. You have a lot of schemes that require actions dedicated to interacting. You have strategies that are on the whole pretty, pretty intense on interacts or at least being in position. And that necessitates taking crews that can generate that economy. That makes sense. Uh, So Colgan, you know, specifically talking about the new schemes. Uh, What do you think of them? Do you think they're a good addition to the game? Do you think, you know, I, you maybe not. Maybe they're not the schemes for you. What's your opinion on them? They're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, load them up just seems kind of crazy. Where it's like, all right, let's just get six markers on their side of the table. I think it's going to heavily favor some crews. I'm wondering if it's going to become like another kind of research mission scenario where, you know, if you're like Raspy or Euripides, you're just kind of always taking this. Mm-hmm. I guess the though the balance between the reveal and end for a lot of the new schemes seems a lot more severe to me, whereas like either the reveal or the end is very easy to score and the other point is a lot more difficult. So I guess, yeah, for Lodomump as well, you need three or more of the chosen marker within three inch uh, three inches of their leader, which I could see being difficult depending on who you're playing against, or it'll be kind of a timing issue since there's only one model you can use to score that point on. Well, two models, right? Either leader. Right, either. Right, either. so it could be the kind of thing like, oh, quick, everyone just <laughs> drop a bunch of scheme markers next to the boss, or you just kill your own master. 
or a leader <laughs> and just say, like, fuck you, you're not getting the point. <laughs> and then you have, like, Secret Meetup, which the reveal seems... Secret Meetup seems like one of the most board-dependent schemes that I've seen in mm-hmm. Malifaux. Like, the reveal seems like it could be mm-hmm. almost impossible to score depending on the layout. Whereas, like, the end game could be, like, a nice way to sneak in points because you don't actually have to be... Um, the train just needs to be out of your deployment zone, so it could be tucked pretty safely on your side of the board if you're, like, in a corner deployment or a wedge or something like that. Yeah. Or standard, even. I mean, pretty much anything except flank, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the end point for Secret Meetup does feel pretty safe. It's kind of, uh, like, the reveal of Power Ritual. <laughs> like, I think Power Ritual was mm-hmm. just always way too easy of a of a reveal. Um, but the end was pretty challenging. So I, I remember, you know, the, the SoCal regionals, the event we had before you left, uh, Jim, I remember we both put down a scheme marker to deny power ritual and neither one of us had power ritual. So it's, it's just funny how mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, power ritual was just one of those things where you, that was an action you just had to take just in case, right? Yeah, it absolutely was dictating player behavior. And in the most recent Vassal World Series event, the last round had power ritual in it or the first round had power ritual in it. And you bet your bottom dollar <laughs> that I, I altered my deployment behavior and turned one unpack specifically to pretend I had, it because if you don't do it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tell it's a huge tell. And as unfortunate as it may be, there are schemes out there in this packet too, that are like, if you don't do the thing, it's going to be very hard to right. to score the point. Um, and I do think uh, set the trap or uh, was it secret meetup secret? I do think secret meetup can fall into that. Now I will say we do have a lot more offensive movement in the game now, including unresisted movement. So I think it might be easier if you build for it. And once again, we're getting into, Oh my gosh, people are having to build crews to the scheme pool. And, and maybe they won't be running the same all-star list that they were before. Can you choose a terrain piece? Like, can your selection be a terrain piece that doesn't actually exist yet? No. Or I, I guess this kind of goes into, like, is it clear whether or not models that count as terrain are, or, like, they have terrain effects, potentially, if, if they are terrain pieces or, or whatever? You know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. My expectation is that a terrain piece is a specific is specifically referring to a non-model terrain, but I don't know if that's actually called or spelled out. Anymore. But you heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> take your take your secret meetup is doable if you uh, pick pick a model and just move it over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said, but you know, I will allow about it. Secret meetup. This is exactly the kind of scheme that suckers me. That I take it because I think I know how the game is going to unfold, and I never do. So I do not know where this belief comes from. <laughs> um, but I take this stuff all the time, and it's it's just such a bad you know choice for me personally because not only you know am I no better than the average person at predicting that. You know, the flow of the game. I feel like I'm probably worse than the average person, but I look forward to not scoring the reveal of Secret Meetup pretty frequently. But 
you know, with these, you know, with, with load them up and, and, um, uh, secret meetup, they both seem like pretty reliable one point. And, and I guess even set the trap to a certain extent. So, so I guess speaking generally, even, even though, you know, they're, they're still public demonstration, but I, I feel like for these newer schemes, a reliable one point is, you know, not an outrageous expectation when you pick them, but scoring both uh, could be quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes it a closer game all in all. And we already had a, f- I think Gaining Grounds 2 was pretty low scoring as well with a lot of those style schemes where it's easy to get one mm-hmm. or the other, but not both. So maybe that's just the direction that Weird's going in trying to make the game a close game by design so that everyone's always feeling like it's you know on their toes, but has a chance to get a big swing if you really right go for it. I, mean, I think you know, you really see in scheme selection, I mean, maybe agonize is too strong of a word, but scheme selection is a real skill and it, it can be quite quite a big factor in, in distinguishing between stronger players and weaker players. And I'm, I'm actually not great at scheme selection. It's one of the biggest holes in my play. But I, I've heard a lot of people bad-talking Vendetta, and yet I see it get picked all the time. And so I think there's, you know, this whole like, oh, I, I think something is an easy one point. I, I think that's a more impactful dynamic than, you know, maybe people appreciate or or... I guess what I'm saying is like scoring eight points every game is not realistic, right? And and so I think right. we're seeing the reliability of, of some of these schemes become a really important factor in, in what gets picked. It might be kind of people with a similar mentality as you finally coming to grips with it. <laughs> like They want to be like score eight points every game and then they realize like mm, not really going to happen as often. Uh, yeah, well, I, I really don't know how to answer that because it's accurate even though I don't want it to be. <laughs> Uh, and so anytime I'm faced with an uncomfortable fact, I just change the subject. So uh, we will just uh, sweep, sweep right past uh, and, and go to, I guess, just kind of a, you know, some concluding thoughts on the GG3 pool as a whole. Jim, what do you think of, uh, you know, where the game is, you, you know, the objectives right now for the GG3? I think we are too early i think we're in the prime season for hot takes i think you have seen a couple of content creators already i mean we're already putting out a video about or podcast about it what a week after Mm -hmm. two weeks after it came out maybe three something like that we're at the start of a new season last season of gaining grounds went for a long time and i think there's a degree of gg2 hangover that we're dealing with where there's a lot of discourse about the game in absolutes. These models are good. These crews are good. These crews are bad. And I think those are informed by Gaining Grounds 2 more so than I think we admit to ourselves, and that we're going to find those metrics change as we unpack Gaining Grounds 3. And I'm excited for that because it means we're going to see more experimentation we're going to see new, different kinds of models that we haven't seen for a while come back to the table. I am hopeful that it means that folks will get outside their comfort zone and play new things, because I think that's how they—that's I, I, how I find my great, one of my great joys in Malifaux, trying the new crews and seeing different things. 
And I think we're in a pool that is rewarding both combat and interacts, which are two pillars of the game in a way that isn't favoring one or the other more. And that's a tricky balance to strike. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I so think I like that's a good assessment. Colgan, uh, would you like to make a few ignorant comments? Wow, that okay. From? Well, you've already said that you haven't played any games with them. So by definition... Yeah, I mean, you, just... don't, you don't have to call it out like that. That just seems like <laughs> unnecessary. Jeff, would you like to make any um, directionally challenged comments about the new <laughs> gaming grounds? <laughs> Hey, I have market research data that says, uh, you know, like our retention times improve as we slam each other. So I'm just doing my part. You just got to you know, take the hit for the podcast. Um, I think overall, like for as long as I've been playing Malifaux, I've always been excited for the new gaining grounds changes. So I've always have like a lot of respect for the Malifaux designers for that, because I don't think I've ever been in a position I'm like, man, I don't know why they got rid of the strategy or why they changed up the scheme. Mm -hmm. I also like how they are recycling a good amount of schemes so that we really only, you know, we're not having to learn 15 new schemes and four new strategies. I think it helps ease in players that aren't necessarily playing like every week mm -hmm. into the new gaining grounds without too much trouble. And it's also kind of a nice way to like shake up the meta and get people excited. And, you know, like Jim was saying, I think it does really push people to try and maybe pull out some of those crews out of their pile of shame as kind of like a soft reset to the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. For you, I know that you had been interested in getting Kirai on the table at some point, you know, to, to try her out. You know, moving from a GG2 to a GG3 environment, uh, do you think that this is going to be a like a a better environment for her or, or worse? Or, you know, do you really not have any expectations about how that's going to lay out or play out yeah i don't think i really have any strong expectations for how it'll play out like i think overall she seems kind of like a generalist with a, a slant towards killy so i think she'll kind of always be okay unless the dynamic of the game changes radically mm -hmm. um but i think overall summoners are starting to be reined in a little bit more which i think is definitely something that should be happening in the game Mm -hmm. But that being said, I still feel like Kirai is probably, you know, in the upper echelon of summoners and summoners as a whole, I feel like are still kind of in the upper tier of masters. So one change I did notice on Vendetta, or I feel like it's a change, maybe it, it's been there all along and I just haven't noticed it. Um, but the current Vendetta says uh, you choose a friendly non-totem model, so you can't pick, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kirai's guided missile totem, um, or or you know Dreamer's, uh, Dreamer's big time totem, which you know since a title Dreamer can resummon Chompy, although there wasn't a ton that Chompy could really declare Vendetta on, anyways. But I I, I yeah I did notice that when I was reading through the scheme pool. I missed that. That's actually pretty impactful. Wow, because I mean, like my mind immediately went to. Jacob Lynch Dark Bed, mm. where you give Huggy a third action a turn, and he's only what uh -huh. eight, eight stones or something. So, like, yeah, no more like, oh, I just have a casual, unkillable Huggy who can be tossed into someone to kill, get the point, and then you can never deny me the second point. 
that's a small but definitely tar- feels targeted. Yeah, well, Lynch is another one that needs nerfs. Lynch and Ulix, they're just they're just out of control. Dark Bet's actually got some legs in this since 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 he came out. But we can <laughs> we can go into that on another. Day. I, I would have been more surprised if they managed to make the title version worse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you guys. I I'm excited by the the pool overall. I think it's a good mix of what Malfoy has always been about, uh, along with some new concepts. Because you don't want everything to be revolutionary all the time. You because that's how you lose people, right? You still want people to feel like they are are playing the game that they've enjoyed. So this is to me, uh, it's a good combination of innovation and uh, classic hits. I look forward to choosing uh, a whole new set of wrong schemes uh, for the next year or 18 months, (laughs) however long it takes to get to Gaining Grounds 4. Um, I would say that I personally am a little disappointed that we didn't get like another balance pass or something. I mean, I understand that we got one earlier in the year, but I've talked enough about my opinion on Weird's development cycle. So yeah, I guess I won't go into that rant again. But yeah, so overall, Gaining Grounds 3 to me, I'm not going to say it's better than Gaining Grounds 2. It's a, it's a different experience. It's a change that I, like many other Malfoy players, was ready for. Uh, and I think this this is going to be a good thing for the game. I'm inclined to agree. Cole can agree with me so we can end on Unity. No, fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, when we get to the point where, where Colgan is just... Uh, needlessly combative it means he needs a juice box and we need to wrap things up so if you've listened to us so far we really appreciate it uh we just play in two small corners of the globe uh here in los angeles and jim over in maryland but we really want to be a part of the wider malifaux community and it's one reason why we do this podcast so if you've listened to it you know we appreciate that and we are always open to ideas to improve so any feedback you guys might have We'd love to hear it. We have Facebook, we have Discord, we have Twitter, you know, we're on the weird forums. There's so many different ways that we can be reached. So if you just want to, if you have thoughts about how we're doing, please let us know. Uh, we also have PayPal and a Patreon. If you'd like to support the channel in that way, that would be really appreciated. And, you know, shout out to all of our backers, past, present, and future. It, it means a lot that you make the gesture of saying, hey, you know, I, I was entertained enough uh, to, to help you in that way. But with that, uh, I think it's going to do it for us for tonight. So, yeah, see you all later. Bye, everyone. Good night.